Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Pastor Amanda Goldbeck. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. morning. Our uh, scripture reading today comes from Acts 4 verses 5 through 13. Uh, please join me in a prayer for illumination. God our helper, show us your ways and teach us your paths. By your Holy Spirit open our minds that we may be led in your truth and taught your will. Then may we praise you by listening to your word and obeying it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 4, verses 5. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, it has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of this day. And Lord, we pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words I bring this morning might be pleasing unto you. And Lord, I pray that our scripture might move us in new ways this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Sitting on my mantle at home is a delightful looking gold wrapped chocolate Easter bunny. Now, this sweet bunny once had a similar chocolate friend who also sat on our mantle. That dear friend didn't make it long past the Alleluia's shouts of joy and proclamations of he is risen, he is risen indeed. Pastor Henry uh, got hungry and, well, he ate it. So all by its lonesome, this golden chocolate bunny sits patiently by itself on our mantle. 
Now you might wonder why it still remains. I imagine there are a few kids out there, maybe Teo Avasca or Peter McLeod perhaps, or others that wonder how this tasty bunny could have lasted this long past Resurrection Sunday. You see, I have intentionally, intentionally left this remnant of Easter sitting where I will see it and have been testing myself not to eat it because it reminds me of an important reality about Easter that often gets lost. You see, Easter is not a single day. Just because the lilies are starting to wilt and the egg hunts are over and our Easter baskets are put away for another year, it doesn't mean that Easter is over. This is actually one of my favorite little soap boxes to get on in regards to the way Christians structure our year with God. Easter is not just a day. Easter is at the very least a season And in truth, it's a way of life. Easter, in what is called the liturgical church calendar, actually lasts 50 days. It stretches from Easter Sunday until Pentecost. Too often we approach Easter as a one and done, thank you for the ham event. We are quick to celebrate the resurrection and quick to move past it. As we journey in particular through Acts over the next few weeks, We are challenged to explore what it means that the resurrection isn't a one-and-done thing. We're challenged to explore how the resurrection reorients each day of our lives, not just one Sunday a year. Our text for today follows up on the healing story and speech Peter gave in the shadow of the temple that we heard last week. And actually comes shortly after the followers of Jesus have witnessed Jesus' ascension to heaven and received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The important thing to recall here is that our story takes place after Jesus has risen from the dead. It's a story of wrestling with the meaning of the resurrection. In our story for today, for today, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest followers, have been arrested because they won't stop talking about the resurrection. The Sadducees were religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection and so are rather annoyed by Peter and John teaching about God raising people from the dead. They were particularly troubled because regular old people were listening and beginning to follow them, believing that Peter and John's words about God raising Jesus from the dead were true. This confrontation parallels that which we witnessed in the final days of Jesus's life. Jesus, like his disciples in the book of Acts, proclaimed truths like his coming resurrection by the power of God, like how he Jesus was the embodiment of the new covenant, like his redefining of the law. These truths, they annoyed, frustrated, and angered those in power. Now, these disciples face a similar situation. 
Peter and John stand as followers of Jesus in the midst of the council to give testimony before the rulers and elders and scribes. What is interesting is that Peter and John don't come freely before the tribunal. They were brought there by those in power. In the previous section of Acts that Pastor Henry preached on last week, Peter and John freely chose to stand in Solomon's portico in the shadow of the temple and proclaimed the truth of Jesus. This time, they come as prisoners, as captives, as criminals. Hauled alongside of them is the man who Peter had healed in Jesus' name in the shadow of the temple. They are questioned by the priests of the temple and the Sadducees. By what power or by what name did you do this? These religious authorities, those in power, want to know how these know-nothing troublemakers, these dumb country boy fishermen from Galilee, could do something like heal this man who had been lame since birth. Again, recall the story told in Acts 3. The priests and Sadducees can't stand that there might be a power that is beyond their authority and grasp. Peter responds clearly, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He proclaims the truth of the power and authority of Jesus Christ, an authority and power that is beyond the structures and systems of the temple, a power and authority that even more so is beyond the structures and systems of the Roman Empire. Theologian Mihi Kim Court explains, in other words, True power is not about replicating empire through a language of credibility or capacity, but about restoring bodies to wholeness. Its source is that which is fugitive, the name of Jesus. That is a word that signifies a way of living and being that falls outside of the life, death, death, life opposition. Those surrounding Peter and John are faced with a choice. In what power, under who, or what authority will they place their lives? In human power or in God's power? In the power of the sword or in the power of the cross? In the power of death or in the power of resurrection? You see, I believe that we face that same question. In the post-resurrection world that we travel in, I think that question actually has to be refined even a bit further. For many of us, it's not about consciously choosing Jesus over, over other authorities and powers. It's actually a much deeper and somewhat more complicated choice. It's a question of which Jesus will we place our lives in. Now, I am sure many of you are thinking, what are you talking about? There is only one Jesus. 
the Son of God who gave his life on the cross for us, while there indeed is only one Jesus. But if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves following someone very different than Jesus. You see, we like power and authority. We like the idea of a God who comes to the same conclusions that we do, that likes the people we like and hates the people we hate. And if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves constructing a version of Jesus that aligns very nicely with what we think and believe, but that is very far from the Jesus shared with us in the Gospels, far from the Jesus Peter preaches and acts. It is easy for us to end up a little bit like the Sadducees. They can't wrap their minds around Jesus. They don't understand how someone who was crucified could hold any power because in their mind, following their law, someone crucified like a common criminal was cursed by God because they believe that they hold all the power given to them by God. They can't fathom how Jesus could actually be greater and stronger and more powerful than them, let alone death. A crucified Messiah is no savior in their eyes. The Sadducees and priests believe that they are protecting their way of life, their faith from the corruption of new ideas and new practices that threaten their very conception of who God is. And we, we can fall into the same trap. Jesus turns our world upside down, and this, this can really confuse us. The world apart from Christ is great at convincing us that power and authority, winning and losing, being in control can all be within our own reach, within our grasp. And it is at least initially considerably more enticing to follow a vision of Jesus that will confirm our predetermined beliefs about power and authority, about our position in the world than to follow a crucified man from Nazareth. What our scripture reminds us, though, is that following Christ isn't about ending up on top. It's not about being held up as special or thinking that we are beyond anyone else. If the disciples' preaching make anything clear, it's that following the Jesus of the cross means that we will lose everything. We will be beat up by those in power, and we will be misunderstood by those around us. So which Jesus are we going to follow? Peter remarks, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. Let's not reject this stone, but instead make it the foundation of our lives you see, we are called to follow the one who turned everything upside down by his death and resurrection. We are called to follow this rejected cornerstone who takes the worldly vision of power, a vision that brings death and destruction and transforms it into new life. Not only life, but life eternal. 
Our challenge as post-resurrection people is to not conform to the powers and systems and structures of this world, but to allow the spirit of the risen Christ to move in and through us to continue that which began on that first Easter Sunday. Our challenge is to be open to the transforming work of Christ that surrounds us. The resurrection is not a one and done day. It is an ever-growing moment, an ever-reoccurring event made real in the preaching of the gospel, in the living out of the kingdom, in the embracing of the cornerstone that was rejected. This is the resurrection power of God that defines us as Christians. Resurrection doesn't fade as the lilies and the Easter candy does. The resurrection grows stronger. Its impact on our lives and our world only increases. So as we continue in this Easter season, let's have ears to hear the echoing name of Jesus Christ that the Spirit surrounds us with. Let us open our hearts to proclaim in the world each and every day of our lives the resurrection power of the Lord. Amen.